Welcome to the Wildlife Experience. This is your host, Andrew Austin. All right, guys. In this episode, I interview Paul Fuzinski. Uh, Paul is a podcaster, a hunter, a wildlife photographer, um, a documentarian uh, as of late. He's working on a documentary about conservation. He's a passionate conservationist. Um, I met Paul at the Hunt Fish Podcast Summit last year. And I went on to his podcast, which is Aptitude Outdoors. And I've been meaning to get him on to here uh, because we have really fun conversations. Um, we're both very passionate about uh, hunting and conservation and wildlife photography and really all manner of wildlife. And uh, he's really uh, a true brother in conservation is what I consider him. No, we, we really have very similar ideas um, about wildlife conservation and the role of hunting and, um, you know, the, just a general message of, of, you know, inspiring people to get into hunting and into wildlife and into conservation. And um, so, yeah, we have a very passionate conversation. Um, we talk all about conservation in general. Um, we go down a few different rabbit holes and, you know, when I talk to somebody like Paul, I get, I get really hyped and I kind of felt bad in a few moments. Um, I, I should have let him, you know, speak more. Um, you know, I always, I always hate it when I, when I don't shut up, but it's hard when we're having such, such a passionate conversation, but overall it was really good. Um, we could have gone on for hours. Um, we stopped it at about an hour and 20 minutes, but, uh, Anyway, I think you guys will enjoy it. So now I bring you Paul Fuzinski. Dude, what have you been up to? Me, I have been hunting, trying to fish for ice fishing, and it's been unsuccessful because it's literally like 50 degrees out here right now, and making videos and documentaries and crap. That's what I've been up to. What have you been up Dude, to? You're, you're busy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm busy. A we bit. share that. We share that busy trait. I love it. I, I don't wouldn't know what to do with myself though if I wasn't busy all the time. I can't just like sit on the couch and watch TV. It just like drives me insane. I can't yeah. do it. So uh, yeah, I'm here with Paul Fuzinski. And where where are you from, Paul? Ohio, Northwest Ohio. I knew that. We we talked about this. Um, Lake it's Erie a state area. That I I really neglect as far as my interest. <laughs> But most people do. I have a friend from Ohio and he has enlightened me a little bit and, and talking to you um, and listening. I listened to a podcast, um, one of your episodes with some pretty renowned naturalist and cinematographer. And you were talking about how y'all's biodiversity is vastly overlooked. Yeah. I wish yeah. I remember his name, but um, Alex Getz. Yes. Yes. That was it. That was it. That was a great one. Um, yeah. So, yeah, you know, Ohio isn't isn't uh, world famous for y'all's wildlife, but y'all have plenty to offer. Yeah, we do. And I live, so where I live, 10 minutes from my door, there's a giant preserve called Oak Openings Preserve, which is a small section of a bigger area, ecological area called the Oak Openings Region. And it is like a globally rare ecosystem, like worldwide it's one of the rarest ecosystems on the planet and it's yeah. even by the people who live here they don't even take that into account and i mean we have wild stuff 
going on there. I mean, it's like the, the geological shores of Lake Erie before it was Lake Erie. It was like this giant lake called like Lake Warren or something. And there's some like super rare butterflies, like the Connor blue butterfly. And there's all these, this blue loop and only grows in this specific area there. I mean, there's more woodpeckers than you can count on any given day. We got little like salamanders and stuff, but just the, the ecological diversity of the area it like microorganism level is yeah. very high and that's what people don't see. So they just see the deer and the raccoons and the squirrels and the birds. Right. And they're like, eh, whatever, who cares? Cause they don't have, you know, like all the dangerous stuff, like uh, people from down like Southeast and out West have like big bears and things. We just have like cool little critters and nobody gives a crap about them, yeah. which is really disheartening. <laughs> and truly some really cool plants. I'm assuming. Yeah. 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 I don't, it, and the thing that bothers me most about the Oak Openings region is there's this place in the park itself called The Spot. And it's like a very well-renowned photography area because the lighting, uh, especially like through midsummer and stuff, pretty much all year, but especially yeah. in like the summertime, there's these pine trees and they cast these like real dramatic shadows, but they're completely non-native. They're planted as like pine tree farms and they just like went, they're, they're like on the verge of collapse because they're just so old and they never harvested them and they're not ecologically like suited for this area. And it's like the thing people come to see and I can't wait for them all to die and be cut down. And it's like, I get so much shit from people when I say that, but I'm like, burn all those trees. I could care less. Let's restore this ecosystem. That is, uh, you know, people assume more trees is better, but that is in fact not true. And depending on the ecological context, mm -hmm. I'm managing a property, a private property that's full of pine and it's historically an oak savanna, you know, and a, yeah. a coastal prairie and there's all this pine there. And my first recommendation to the landowner is cut all the pine out of there. And he's like, wait, what about the deer? I'm like, the deer are better off without them. <laughs> You're largely from uh, the grass, the native grasses and the shrubs and, you know, all that sort of stuff. But uh, yeah, yeah, man. So we, yeah. uh, we met last year at the podcast summit in central, like North central Texas. And uh, that was a really cool event. You've been going for a couple of years now, right? Yeah. Yep. It's the yep. hunt, hunt fish podcast summit. Yeah. Um, yep. Do you want to, do you want to explain that? Yeah. So the, the idea was started by, um, friend Derek York, who he just kind of had this idea. He's really big into coastal conservation. Like he works for the fisheries department down on the coast in Texas, like the Houston area. And he is just like a really outgoing, awesome guy. And he cares a lot about conservation and wildlife. And it's just one of those things kind of like how we're doing right now. He just invited me on his podcast and you know, we ended up talking a lot. And then he said, you know, I'm going to make this like summit thing where I get a bunch of different people from different parts of the U S to come together. And we'll just like kind of talk conservation. We'll do a little bit of hunting, a little bit of fishing. And it, the first year I, I, he invited me and I kind of helped him with some of the video stuff and things like that. Cause that's what I know how to do. It's about all I know how to do. And he, uh, he really went out of his way to make it kind of grow last year, the year you went, which would be the second year. And it's really just a cool place to get conservation minded people together and to like podcasts too, that are conservation minded. And we all just talk for three days, four days about conservation and everybody gets their own perspective. 
And it, like, I would have never met you if I wouldn't have went to this thing. And it's just cool to meet people who have that mindset and how we can all work together to like better conservation because like, it's not something people talk about a lot unless it's something they're in, interested in or invested in, you know, like it's not a, you don't hear Fox news or, or CNN talking about conservation. That, right. Like nobody talks about it. So that's they basically talk, a quick rundown. They, they talk about the, the politically sensitive stuff. They don't talk about the stuff <laughs> you can actually make serious change on, on, on the yeah. ground, you know, for real. So yeah, that was a really, really cool event, man. Like, I don't think I've ever gone somewhere and spent four days straight just talking about conservation <laughs> I I've know. research and like been in the conservation realm, but I've never gone somewhere just specifically just to talk. Like that was the yeah. dialogue the whole time was conservation. And yes. it was, man, it was really cool. And, you know, most people there come from the, the hook and bullet background. Um, mm-hmm. And that's something that you and I both, you know, we're both in that world and we're both, we're naturalists and, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's just really interesting um, to hear everybody's perspectives and um, you, you know, you and I both, you know, it's one thing we really have in common is occupying both of those worlds. And we, we both agree that, um, you know, like conservation is, is like multifaceted and, you know, all hunters and anglers play a large role in the conservation story. And, um, it's just, yeah, there's a, there's a whole lot of stuff we've, we've talked about. You were filming that, that documentary. I don't know how much you've talked about that publicly. Um, and if you want to talk about that, but yeah, absolutely. I do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You go ahead and talk about it. Well, so I've been, I started like my podcast aptitude outdoors kind of on a whim because I just wanted to get to know people yeah. about like, like there's a big variety of people out there who enjoy the outdoors. And I'm like, not the guy, I'm not the bow hunter specific guy who just talks about bow hunting, lives bow hunting. That's all I talk. Like I'm just as happy to be out there with a fishing rod that I got from Walmart for 20 bucks or, you know, or anywhere you drop me anywhere. And I'm going to just enjoy it. Whether I'm hunting, fishing, backpacking. I mean, I don't care. I just love to be outdoors And that's kind of where my podcast started. And then I was like, you know, podcasts are fun. Podcasts are great, but they're one avenue of the outdoors world and like a way of talking about this in a broader public. But I was thinking like, how can I make this message bigger? And what's something that everybody watches? Documentaries, especially wildlife documentaries. They're just, everybody is interested in them at some level, whether it's little kids watching Disney documentaries about chimpanzees or it's, you know, people like us watching deep in the heart about like real heavy hitting issues down in a very specific region of Texas, or in that case, the whole state. And it's like, you know, I, I'm okay with the camera. I've spent, you know, years doing storytelling. I used to have a TV show. So I got some experience that I was like, well, the worst thing that happens is I can make a documentary and it could like, maybe somebody will watch it and it'll change a few people's minds. And, you know, I, I was like, there's no better place to do that than this summit where it's literally experts from around the country coming together to talk about conservation. So you're, you're in the documentary um, and you're, you have such a cool perspective. You have that broad perspective that a lot of people don't have. Yeah. And then I have Gray and Renee Thornton from Wild Sheep Foundation in there. And then Chester Moore, who's a mutual friend of ours is in there. And um we had to cut a few interviews, but we're going to turn those into another short documentary. 
And it's just really focused around hunting, but it's hunting from the perspective of, you know, why is it more than just shooting stuff and like the whole like yee redneck culture of like, <laughs> let's drink beer and go shoot shit, man. I won't kill stuff. Like yeah. that's the, the image people have. And I was like, how can I take this from my perspective as a hunter who's been in hunting for about six years now, but like is really starting to get into the weeds with conservation too. And how can I like get all this together rectifying like, how can I, why do I kill stuff? But why do I love killing like the things that I'm killing? Like I love deer, man. Deer are super cool. Yeah. I like to watch them and I like to eat them, but like, how is that? Okay. How can you have this like multifaceted view of something? And it, it, I don't know, it was just an interesting rabbit hole. And it was like a self kind of discovery thing. And come, I was worried when I started doing these interviews, cause I'm like, these people are going to think I'm like some softy, like nerd. And then, you know, like you're in there and you're like, talk, it's like, I'm talking to myself and I'm like, this is so cool, dude. Like people feel this way. It's not just like rednecks. And I, I, I don't know, man, that's the message I've been trying to preach is to like, get the mindset across or not all that way, because that's how we're viewed by the general public. And, you know, I'm like no Steven Ranella or anything, but right. I just like, I feel like that's my goal. That's like my one goal in life that I've been able to stick with for this long. I mean, it's not gone away in five, six years. And I've, I'm still just as passionate as the first time I stepped out my front door with a shotgun <laughs> and got my first year. Like I, I just love it so much. And I want to share that passion with everyone yeah, that yeah. is willing to listen you know now did did you come from like your first experiences in the outdoors was it a non-consumptive going out just observing or was it hunting first it was non-consumptive for sure i i grew up in like southeast michigan so right on the the ohio michigan border and it's a lot of rural farm country but like my dad had this dream of buying this like wood woods like he wanted to live in the woods and yeah. he grew up in the city just like anybody else and so when I was six or seven years old, they bought this plot of land that was a 10 acre woods in Southeast Michigan. And then that part, that woods was surrounded probably by a few hundred acres of woods of all private property, but they were like connected together. And from the time I was six till I think I moved out when I was like 21, 22, maybe. And that whole time I just grew up in the outdoors and kind of took it for granted because it's like a chore to go out in the woods and cut down trees and split wood and stuff. Like when you're a kid, it's not enjoyable, but I didn't realize how much of an advantage I had coming from that background. So I was like hooked from the time I basically went to college. I did some traveling around the country and I saw, I played like heavy metal. So I like we, we toured around the U S and I saw, all the big monuments of the outdoors world, man. Like we're driving through freaking Yellowstone and we're driving through the deserts and I'm coming from Ohio. I'm coming from cornfields and like, you know, Oak woodlots. And I'm seeing these vast expanses like down in Texas where you were like in Arizona and Nevada, seeing all these mesas and these like strange foreign things I'd only seen on national geographic. And I was like, wow, this country is amazing, dude. And then I got home from all that stuff. And I went to college with, to get a culture anthropology degree because like, I didn't ever assume I'd have a job in that. It's just like something that really interested me was like human history. Yeah. And when I went down that rabbit hole, that's where I really got like 
hook line and sinker dude i mean i'm still i'm still hooked to this day i learned about how like primitive tribes lived and i learned about how the world operated for hundreds of thousands of years without all this shit that we have around us right now with like you know, and it, it's, it's, you know, romanticized, obviously it's a brutal lifestyle. Like people are like, if we could just go back, like, dude, you'd be oh, dead. <laughs> like you'd be dead yeah. in five minutes. You, very there's rough, no, very, yeah. very rough living back in the day. Yeah. And like, I don't know. I just, by the time I graduated college, I just had this like idea in my head. I'm a very idealistic person. I'm like a very much just like get an idea and run with it kind of guy. And I was like, man, there's no coming of age here in the U S like there's no tradition of that. You like go to, go to high school, you graduate and then you either go to college or you get a job. That's like the two routes. There's no like, Hey, go sit in the woods for three weeks. And we're not giving you food and water. You know, there's no ayahuasca trip or there's like no crazy shit that we do anymore from that transition. So I made my own and I was like, I'm going to through hike the Appalachian trail, like on a whim, no clue what I'm doing. Never backpacked a day in my life. And I went for it. And my, my now wife and I did it together. And we just hiked this whole giant trail. And like, you can imagine what that does to a person's oh, brain I mean, I about the outdoors. I can't even, yeah. I can't imagine like that. How, how long does that take? Six months. And, and okay. And walk, just, walk me through that. Like, what are the logistics yeah. of that? Uh, so you have a backpack (laughs) and you have uh, your feet and you basically a lot of your, (laughs) yeah, a lot of, uh, idealistic ideas and a lot of grit and heart. And then you basically have your tent and your sleeping pad, your sleeping bag. And it's you, it's you and the elements. And my favorite part of it is you're there. No one's there to save your ass. You're, you could be 20 miles from a road at any given time and you just figure shit out. You just are like, holy crap, this is really what it was like on like the easy entry level, like level one video game level of life back then. Like it's just me and nature and I got to figure out what's going on. My backpack ripped. I had to sew it together with like dental floss. It's just like cool stuff like that that you don't do in normal society. And then there's a lot of like weird cultural things that you do on the trail, like hitchhiking and okay, yeah. we're like hitchhiking into towns to buy food and stuff. And it's just a brutal, fun experience that's like awakened me to the outdoors. And it's just kind of a thing that you're like, if I can do that, I can do anything, man. Like there's nothing that I can't do. That's how my brain works now. It's just like, I might have to grind at it for 10 years but like there's no nobody can stop me and that's the biggest thing that i've taken away from that is just yeah. like i can do whatever the hell i want and nobody's telling me otherwise do you recommend people do that absolutely yeah i think everyone should do something like that something after like they graduate that. high school a rite of passage in the outdoor yeah yeah it doesn't have to be six months i mean just yeah, go out months. for did you ever get uh jaded on the trip you know like where you just did you go through any emotional uh swings with with like how you were feeling about it and like giving up and you know surely some of that came so i definitely got emotional swings man it i mean when your body's going through that much like six thousand calories a day uh, for the average person i'm like six one and on like a good day i'm like 245 and that's like on a real good day so 
your body is just constantly in this state of deficit and and like logically you know that plays on your mind like if you're if you're in a continual calorie deficit it like messes with your emotions oh yeah um and that that was probably one of the more difficult parts because like we all like even if you're working or you're at uh, like doing something difficult maybe you're going for like three mile trail run your brain's constantly like i don't want to do this i don't want to do this and you constantly have to fight that but when you're trying to fight that on like 3000 calories and you're a 3000 calorie deficit on top of that you're like dude i don't know if i can do this anymore um but but to your original question i don't think i don't think quitting ever crossed my mind because i'm just a stubborn son of a bitch that's just how i am like if i have a thing in my head i'm going to just do it if unless i die or like hurt myself severely um and there was a few injuries on the trail. I wrecked my ankle like bad. Like I had to go. I, I if there wouldn't have been a paramedic by some magical grace out in the woods, he was a paramedic camping where the place we camped the night I hurt my ankle. I would have had to go to the hospital. He like wrapped it like a cast, like a professional, and I just kept going. Like ass, huh? I don't know. <laughs> he saved my ass. That was the only time I thought I might have to either stop for a while or quit. But I was like, I'm going to keep hiking until that, like, I can no longer hike until my foot falls off or somebody's like, okay, this is enough. But yeah, man, it's a, it's a brutal endeavor, but it's like, I don't know. I think we just need that now. Like we, nobody does shit anymore. (laughs) I'm reading uh, Never Finished by David Goggins right now. And uh, this is very, very reminiscent of the Goggins ideology <laughs> i wish yeah uh, he's a he's a whole different get out there he's animal. he's a freak of nature and in fact i don't actually think it's necessary to be as hard as he is because he's actually really ruined his body like his knees are fucked yeah yeah but his mind is is like and his spirit is probably like as good as it can possibly get because of how mentally yeah. he is but uh and i love that attitude man yeah. because i mean i think about that all the time too it's like i am no one special i don't do any like like some people and this might sound like whatever i don't care how it sounds it's like some people do the appalachian trail and that's or this long through hike and that's their identity for the rest of their life it's like the uncle who's like i won the state championship and this is like that's their gold standard and i'm like this is a great start now what can i do for real to like yeah, yeah like what can i make how can I make something else or do something? And that's where I'm at with like this realm we're in, in this like media world. This is way harder than the push AC. It. Push there it, is. like push it to your maximum potential. That's yeah. Yeah. I've been, I've been trying to think more like that. Cause I get, you know, I, I care a lot about social media and the potential to reach people on issues that you, people like you and I really care about. Mm-hmm. Like people like you and I, that, that, um, are are more uh, generalist in the outdoors have, are in a good place to to have a a good influence on different types of people on conservation issues mm-hmm. and um like i there's there's a maximum potential for each of us and but neither of us are anywhere close to it you know but it, it's yeah. very you know it takes discipline and hard work to get there and um but you know what keeps me motivated is is that opportunity to reach people. Um, and, and I learned this from uh, one of your recent guests, Ben Masters, how he thinks of his documentaries is, 
you know, we have scientists that are, are collecting the data. Um, we have, you know, media, um, which, you know, they influence people in different ways, but his documentaries specifically really have a lot of potential to set the temperature in the room to mm-hmm. influence people, to inspire people and get people thinking about important issues yes. um, that, that like everybody that is interested in nature should care about like conserving our ecosystems. Very simple, you know, without, without functional On paper, without functional ecosystems, we can't hunt and fish. We can't bird watch. We can't look for rare plant snakes or like anything. And uh, yeah. one issue, you know, like when I'm thinking about my place in the conservation story, it is to really focus on the things that everybody can get around, like conserving habitat. You know, there's a lot of very complicated issues like climate change and, and how we manage certain predators and, and all these uh, nuances and, and controversies. But habitat is something everybody can agree on. And I feel like yes. really focusing on that can solve all these other problems uh, of habitat loss and I mean, of, uh, you know, pr- predators and, uh, you know, cl- climate related problems. And if we just restore and conserve ecosystems, the, the, the very simple conservation methods can make a huge difference. hundred percent agree, dude. And like, that's the thing is there is a very stern anti-hunting crowd and there's a very stern pro hunting crowd. And conservation is in the middle of that. Like we have to figure, and I always come back to this mindset too, because it can be disheartening trying to go into this realm because it's just, it's like depressing fact, depressing fact, depressing fact after depressing fact. Like, oh, today this forest was burned. Oh, they're putting a strip mine in here. Oh, they decided to clear cut this whole, you know, preserved area. Oh, in Michigan right now, they're trying to expand a national guard base into public lands. And they're like, Oh, we won't, you know, we won't do anything bad. It'll still be able to use it except for when we want to use it, which is all the time. And like, there's these big, every time you turn around, there's a new issue and it's hard to be hopeful because like all you read about is negative. So I try and bring that, that energy to like, okay, well, yes, obviously things are fucked right now. And like, but they were really, really, really fucked 100, 200 years ago. You're like, doing really were, well. <laughs> we're on the right, we're on the right track, I think. Yeah. Compared to yeah, 200 like, years ago. There were five bison left in Texas or whatever a few hundred years ago. And now there's like flourishing populations. Like that's a win. It's not what it was, but it's better than what it could have been, which is yeah. zero. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I often wonder what you know conservation historians will be writing about our era now like what what what's going to be in the books you know 100 years from now yeah like it's going to be the the narrative is going to be we're, we're on the up and up as far as restoring and conserving our resources and bringing ex- a near extinct species back to po- you know healthy population levels and mm-hmm. that, that's just the optimist in me though there's a lot of yeah i mean we're 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 gonna keep losing habitat and we're gonna lose species but um, more and more people are, are giving a shit, you know? Yeah. It's great. And, and that's like, I, and like you've said in the past, I, I strictly remember this cause it stuck in my brain. I think about it quite a bit is like this whole mindset of the individual consumer taking it upon themselves to like do their best to offset like 
all the shit that gigantic companies are doing. And you were like, yeah, I don't, I don't think that that makes any difference at all. And I like had never thought about it at that point. Cause I'm always like, I'm trying to take myself out of the system as much as possible. And it's like the impact that I'm having as an individual person, even if I were to cut out all plastic and cut out all uh, factory raised meat and cut out all whatever, if I, if I hunted and got enough deer to feed myself for a year, like that is point zero 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 one percent of like coca-cola just pumping out shit constantly and i think about that all the time man like you raised that point to me and i was like i'd never thought about it i don't live like by that because i still think it's you know a great effort to be as sustainable as you can yeah just to be a good person and you know every little bit perhaps counts but um there's grander problems at play here (laughs) that are are you know unfortunately a, a matter of political systems and somewhat out of the individual's control, you know, yes, which is unfortunate. Um, that's, but that's why I feel like just focusing on what we can control is so important. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, it's very complicated, this stuff. <laughs> it really is. It's so, and, but like you're talking, you talk about all these negative things happening, like, you know, a new strip mine going in or, um, you know, public lands being lost, you know, I want to see, I want to see hunters. I want to see anglers. I want to see naturalists, uh, you know, anti you know, people that are generally anti, like all these different people that have any say in the outdoors rallying together against the big corporation. That's about to take our public resources. That's the dream for me is more unity in the outdoors. And that's kind of the theme of my podcast and, you know, yours too, is, unity right mm-hmm. and it's it doesn't have to be black and white like i will talk to a vegetarian because like this is something I, i've said so many times is like <clears throat> okay you're a hardcore vegan mm-hmm. that's like your hill that you're gonna die on yeah i do not eat meat okay totally fine i do not give a shit where the other I, on the other hand, am not that I'm the opposite. I'm going to hunt until the day I die, because that is what I feel personally aids in conservation dollars, even at a bare, like the bare minimum effort you can put in is, is hunting and fishing, buying a license, even just to, that's conservation money as little or as much as the, as that means to you, whatever, but we're both the same thing. We're both doing the same thing on the opposite ends of the spectrum. And it's like, we don't have to agree. We will never agree. You will never agree as a vegan that I am doing the right thing. And I will never agree that you're doing the right thing. That's just what it like black and white right there. But in the middle, we both want wildlife habitat. We both want to see the pretty birds and the deer and the ducks and whatever. I just happen to like, like to eat them. And you happen to like to look at them. Right. Who, who cares? Like, Let's just stick, let's like cut out all the arguing and get here. And then just like, Hey, this is where we can talk. We won't talk about this. We won't talk about that. Yeah. You know, I don't like to, I don't generalize vegan either because I've had, I've actually had vegans on my podcast that are very pro hunting. They just, they happen to have not grown up in that culture and that's not something they're interested in doing, but they understand the benefits of it, which is great. But you know, I haven't eaten store-bought meat in uh, about a month now. And you know, when you think about you know, where, where you're getting your food and like promoting the conservation of our ecosystems, harvesting your food sustainably and legally, like through meat, like hunting meat, deer and stuff. That is 
the ultimate environmentally friendly food resource and conservation focused food resource, even more so than, than being vegan. Cause you know, if you're vegan, you're eating, uh, plants and to grow those plants, they had to, you had to clear native ecosystems, um, mm -hmm. and create monocultures of various crops or what have you. So to me, like, it, it is kind of crazy. Not like not a lot of people think about it, but really the most sustainable food, if you can 100% only eat wild game you harvested, if you're talking about a, a, a way to eat that, that really promotes conservation, it is through, through under our system anyway, here in, in, in the United States, it is to eat wild game. That that's, yeah. you cannot convince me otherwise. Yeah. Being vegan I'm is also it. very sustainable. It's more sustainable than eating, uh, you know, industrial uh, agricultural products, mm -hmm. um, you know, agricultural beef, but like beef is also a nuanced topic because, you know, there's many small, smaller operations that are sustainable and they, you know, implement rotational grazing and they're in fact, restoring prairies and grasslands through producing beef. So that's also a very nuanced topic, but ultimately though, eating wild game promotes conservation. It's sustainable. It's, it's humane. It is so humane to harvest a wild animal if you know you're an ethical hunter and you know it feels for me very good to be having only eaten it wild game over the past month and i hope i continue as long as i can and it's it's not as easy as people think it is to do that i mean it's a lot of work to go get wild game it's like it you're spending hours in the field per week per month you're spending countless hours out there and then the cleaning of the animal like just yep. all the dirty work and uh to step back to what you said about clearing land the best way i've ever heard this put to date was uh, our friend chester moore he said um, okay a lot of people have an issue with someone killing a deer an individual animal an individual deer that death to them is like heart-wrenching and it's like, but if there's a field put in or something or a housing division, think of all the deer that could never exist because that is there. Yeah. And I was like, dude, I've never thought about that before. That is insane. Like, that's the best way I've ever heard it put. To add to that point, when I see, you know, around Houston, we have the this rare prairie ecosystem called the Katy Prairie. And when I see a new housing development go in there, not only on this Katy Prairie ecosystem, not only did they, you know, we lost wildlife habitat for the future. They also killed like hundreds of snakes that would have been underground. They mm -hmm. paved it over and the snakes, you know, they, they just literally die underground and all sorts of other fossorial critters that are down on the soil and the, the, the plants and like insects, all these species literally got killed just with one swipe of the soil and, you know, pavement and stuff being put down. And it's so like when, when I see a, a, you know, an urban, expansion happening it is like really depressing and you know when i see anti-hunters or you know like animal rights activists they're so passionate about individuals and i, I sympathize with them because i had that same emotion towards ecosystems mm -hmm. and populations and i just wish they also cared more about populations and ecosystems rather than folks hyper focusing on individuals you know individual yeah. animal rights I agree. And it sometimes like when I go to a park or something, I'm looking around, it almost feels like I'm at a zoo sometimes. Cause it's like, this is literally one of the last remaining prairies is whole like area that exists right now. Like um, I've talked to people who are, you know, they run conservancies out on Lake Erie for the marshes and stuff like that. And they're just like, 
yeah, this isn't even actually like a real marsh anymore because we had to put in like break walls to Lake Erie because the water levels are rising so high. And like, yeah, we have to like control it with pumps and stuff. And it's like, it's awesome. But it's like, I feel it's like at that point, you're just in a zoo. Like I'm in the zoo. That's like a wild outdoor zoo. But I mean, at least they exist still. At least yeah, somebody least, gave enough of a crap. There. Yeah. Yeah. And it's. You know, and the plight up here with Lake Erie, man, is just like a travesty, in my opinion. And like, it's such a heated topic because it's so tied to farming practices. And anytime you talk farming, people just get up in arms. And I've talked to documentary filmmakers who've talked about uh, farming up here. I've talked to the water keepers. I've talked to actual farmers on my podcast who are part of backcountry hunters and anglers here in Ohio. Like the guy, the guy raises beef. And he also is an advocate for public lands. And like, of course he doesn't want to see Lake Erie get trashed, but it's like, again, we're not, we're arguing on our side of the point, but we're not coming together in the middle. And like, I just feel like I need to figure out how to do that better as a person, because it's not an easy conversation. Like yeah, it's very difficult. And it's you know, hard in, because in general, yeah. in, in life with any sort of issue or topic, there, there is a reality to be had. There, there is, the truth in all of these situations, mm -hmm. but there's also just people are worried about their way of living and how they make money. And then that complicates things like the farmers, they're worried about their, their farming operations. They're not like, and that's generational and that like they grew up with it and they're trying to feed yep. their family, put their kids in college. And it's, it's so difficult to navigate that stuff because I mean, these people, they're not bad people. They're literally just people trying to survive, you know, yeah. and have a good life. Yeah. And it's too often what happens is there's an attack. There's like, we're coming after you or that's how it feels to them Yes. when it's like, Hey, we need to figure out a way that you can maintain your lifestyle and we can maintain it and then help you maintain it in an affordable way. That's not impacting the water so much. Yes. That's what is, and there's a lot of small farmers understand this. It's like when you get into CAFOs and these massive feeding operations, like I drive by them where I live. Like they're just, dude, like 10 miles out, it just smells like rotting shit. It's disgusting. Like the, feedlots, the big feedlot. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. The, that's where those are, you buy beef from the grocery store. That's where it's coming from, right? Yeah, I believe I believe so. Unless you're buying from like a local farmer directly, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's I, no. I need to have somebody on that's well educated in the beef agriculture because I, I want to know the all the details of it and how it's impacting our natural resources. So I really, I don't. got you on that one. <laughs> yeah, send somebody my way because you know I, I will uh, admit ignorance on on much of that. But one thing I know well, for sure is it's it takes a lot of land and a lot of water and a lot of resources mm -hmm. to produce. Uh, like meat and like a lot of monoculture crops are planted to feed those beef and that's more land used and all so we can enjoy a fat juicy steak when you could go out if we had healthy wildlife populations we could all be going and shooting sandhill cranes that taste better than beef anyway <laughs> not really that's just hyperbole but yeah well i mean <laughs> you're you're not wrong and that's it's a like to to wrap up on the CAFO topic I mean I know it pisses a lot of people off I'm not afraid to talk about it because like yeah. I just like to talk 
in factual information. And yeah, like, yeah. Uh, obviously I, I, I'm not an expert on CAFOs, yeah. but like the people that I have had at interviews with in the past that are experts on these, they're saying, especially up here in the region I'm in off of Lake Erie, they're saying the family farms are not the problem. It's these, these big feeding operations are skirting the rules and essentially that's where most of this pollution is coming from. But since it's all tied to farming as a whole, like farming as the word, instead of farming as my friend who owns a beef farm when they have like a hundred cattle that they raise, like they're their pets, that is farming. Right. Having yeah. 10,000 cattle stuffed in a building and just shit running everywhere directly into the ditches that funnel directly into Lake Erie. And like causing algal blooms that literally shut down the city drink water for hundreds of thousands of people. That's not okay. Oh, no. But like we're bickering about details of like, listen, it's these mega corporations like we talked about earlier that are buying up farmland, screwing some guy over because he has no say in the matter because they bought the farm from him. And like, it's a whole issue. It can go yeah. as long as you want on that topic. But I mean, it, the fact of the matter is it's like back to what you said earlier. It's, it's never this like simple thing of like, Oh, it's this little guy's farm. That's doing it. Like, of course it's not. He, he, yeah. he fishes on the river outside <laughs> of his farm. Like he doesn't yeah. want this to happen either. Yeah. So yeah, it's just so complicated. And the more you learn about it, the more frustrating it gets yeah. because then you learn that it's just tied to political bias and you're just like, and that's like, Oh, you you would you would you would think that all of us in the outdoor industry it would be very a very natural reaction for all of us to be against that industrial farming operation or you know or big you know, large scale farming operation but because of po- politics and culture people are like will protect farming at all cost you know because yeah. they're well, pro farming but farming is like so different it's like a spectrum you know. And and you, and I said I've said this a million times on my podcast. It would be hypocritical of all of us if we said that we didn't agree with farming because eight billion people would not survive on this planet without farming. Is yeah, impossible. That is impossible. A, yeah, that is a difficult so, thing. Is these big operations are feeding people. Yeah, and that's why it's I like knew more about like the the logistics here on on how they're. The, the role they're playing in society, you know, as I don't know much about, I know they, no matter how, like they're so unsustainable and disgusting, but there's so many people too. And it's, it's like a difficult yes. project to feed so many people. So I, I, you know, I'm ignorant on these. It, matters. It's a matter of, we're not saying shut these things down as like people who care about environmental issues and like conservation issues because there would be no food for anyone. It's a matter of like, can we please work together so it's not polluting so badly and destroying like entire ecosystems? Like maybe don't spread shit on a field when it's frozen and it runs directly into the river. (laughs) Like like simple things like that that get skirted all the time. And it's like, this is where we need to meet. We're not saying shut this thing down. It's like, clean it up. That's what we're saying, you know? So I, but I live in the middle of this stuff. So it's like a hot topic up here. Yeah. It's yeah, like, yeah. And you're, yeah, you're real passionate yeah. about it. And yeah, the, the, <laughs> the big picture here for our listeners is, you know, we, as, as outdoorsmen and women and conservationists and hunters and anglers and naturalists, we, we should all be rallying together around issues like this. So there should never be disagreements among us about these mm-hmm. types of issues. And yet the, the disagreements exist. And, um, 
you know, that's, I really hope someday, um, the greater outdoor community could really rally together to protect our, our ecosystems. And that's, that it seems so simple and easy. And, 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 you know, it is already, it, it is already happening in some respect, but there's still a lot of, you know, I, you know, I work in the hunting industry now and, you know, I sell duck calls and so I meet a lot of hunters and a lot of hunters, they don't really think about conservation, even though they, they are contributing through excise taxes and buying their hunting license and stuff. They are hunters first conservation is second in, yeah. in and maybe they don't even think about conservation at all. And we should all be conservation is first hunters second, Yeah, you know, without without conserving our resources, we can't hunt or do anything outdoors. And uh, that, that's a message I care a lot about is more hunters because I protect hunters and hunting community all the time, but, but mm-hmm. we have to hold ourselves accountable too, as a community. Yeah. And, and really, you know, get more people to think about problems like, you know, the one we've just talked about with, you know, unsustainable farming practices and these sorts of things. And, you know, because of culture and politics, a lot of times hunters fall short on their conservation, you know, efforts. Yeah. And I, it's, it's hard too, because even people that I hunt with and have hunted with, I am not, I will say like, first and I am not a stickler for rules in a general sense. Like I, most of the time I think rules are bullshit, but when it comes to hunting limits and, and conservation rules, I am an absolute hard ass maniac. Like I am like, I am not this. And it's just like the liberties that people are willing to take to be successful in hunting outweigh like the hunting and people can say whatever they want about, Oh, I've only been hunting for so long. What the hell do I know? Blah, blah, blah. Like I would so much rather have like a hundred percent fair chance me versus the deer or whatever, the duck, the whatever, than just like, pour a dump truck of corn in the middle of my property and be like sweet i'm gonna slaughter this thing like yeah. to me that like as a conservationist first there is like that's that's like a thing for me and i'm like not starting like oh well it's five minutes after shooting time who gives a shit and i'm just like yeah. man like people fought for this shit and hunting is not a right it is a it is a liberty that we have and we're yeah. lucky to have and it could go away very quickly and i'm not gonna do anything in my control to like screw this up for anyone yeah. and i don't think anyone that i know thinks about that ever it's well, just like it's so easy to follow the rules and to respect the resources it's so yeah. simple. just I respect, respect the resource, them, you know yeah. like you don't gotta I respect the deer you gotta be like, I'm sorry, I'm just getting pumped up when you're talking about this stuff because it it pisses me off that people that take those liberties and and you know break the rules sometimes because like, bro, like you don't gotta be a fucking like tree hugging hippie to to <laughs> give a little bit of shits about our natural resources. It's yeah. so easy, man. Like, yeah, it's a shared resource. It's it's public. It's all of ours. You know, even if you're hunting private land, you're hunting a public resource. Wildlife is a per the North American model is a shared public resource and yes. it is a hunter-based model that we operate under and we should take great pride in our ability to sustainably harvest wildlife and we should respect you know our fellow hunters and their opportunities and just all of it together it's so easy to follow the rules you know yeah so easy and it's and, and it's like i 
I mean, like the way I look at it when I'm hunting is like, it's me versus the animal. Like they are way smarter than me in this ecosystem. This is their home. This is where they live. I have to be 10 times more cunning and use my brain 10 times harder to be able to get this animal. And this year has been terrible for me. They've skunked me left and right. It's just been like misstep after misstep on my end with deer hunting specifically. And it's like, that's on me, dude. These right. animals do not want to die. And it's like the ultimate game of chess. That's not why I do it. That's not why I, I'm here is for this like cat and mouse game, but it is like, but you enjoy, I, I will admit, I enjoy the game though. I do. It's frustrating. Yeah. There's sometimes where you, where you, you do think while you're out there, like I could go for a truckload of corn right now. Cause I'm getting so frustrated. Is corn, like, is corn illegal where you hunt? No, it, not on, on public land yes on private yep. land no on public land there's no baiting of any way of any okay, sort yep, so yep yeah same here in texas but it's like but i mean it is what it is like I, i'm also not whatever like at the podcast summit you're thermal hunting hogs like there's no fair chase in thermal hunt hogs but like they're also ravaging the freaking landscape that's right. just like a whole different topic so yeah fair, fair know, chase is, is an interesting uh subject for me because you know, with duck hunting, fair chases that comes into play on, when it comes to shooting birds on the water. Now, my opinion is it's actually more ethical to shoot birds on the water because you're ensuring a clean kill. If yeah. you hunt a lot, if you duck hunt a lot, a lot of birds are wounded when you shoot them in flight and a lot of birds are lost. Yeah. And that's just pitiful for me to, to see. And I, you know, it's just part of it. But and if you have a good dog, you can reduce the number of birds lost. Yes. That's, that's just one of those weird things where I've always thought like, you know, in the sportsman, you know, you know, world shooting a bird on the water is, is not fair. It's, it's unethical, but to me, from a, like an animal welfare perspective, it's actually better because you know, you're going to get a clean kill on that animal. That's something you've well, ever, and a lot of things, about that or? well, yeah, like think a lot of things they'll boil down to tradition and like, you ever just like have a rule that exists in any scenario and you're like, if you stop and think about it, like, why does, why does this rule exist? How does this make sense? Like, like, like uh, an example that comes to mind, I guess, similar to that up here is like, we have a muzzleloader specific season. That's like four days long, which is cool. Like traditional firearms are cool, but I'm like, is it, this is coming from the guy who missed a, sh a chip shot at 70 yards on a buck like two weeks ago with a muzzle loader. Okay. But it's like, okay. So you're telling me that this muzzle loader with a rifled barrel shooting 50 cal with a scope on it is a traditional hunting weapon. There's <laughs> no way that, that is a tradition or like a crossbow is a bow because right. it again has a freaking scope and you probably i've never shot i don't know anything about crossbows but I, i'm assuming you that poundage is insane like 150 like it's pounds, basically like 160 pounds yeah, yeah. like yeah. i'm pulling 65 or 70 on my bow dude i've hunted with a crossbow. yeah i think crossbows are cool yeah. as shit by the way <laughs> i mean it's cool it's i don't care to a you know a compound or a you know and but yeah. there's levels to it because there's people that hunt with real traditional archery that think compound bows are bullshit you know yeah so. exactly but there's levels of it but it's just like i don't know it's just uh, the point i was getting at is i don't okay. like all these things are fine if you're hunting you're hunting yeah, i yeah. want the animal to die as fast and as ethically as possible right. 
And at sure as shit for me isn't with a bow. It's definitely with a gun. I mean, that's, that's another, the fastest. In- that's the same thing as my duck stuff. It, when talking about ducks on the water, uh, a lot of uh, you know people that are not into hunting, they're like, oh, you know, you're using a gun. That's you know, go out there with a bow or a spear. Okay, you Good want luck. to to run around suffering after getting an arrow through the gut? Yeah, a gun is much more lethal, and you can ensure a clean fast kill and uh yeah you know but you know a lot of there's some very serious archery hunters that that make great shots and you know it's it's of course as good as you can get for a bow and i'm not like i don't one thing i don't do is i don't judge however people in a as long as they're legally harvesting game and ethically i don't judge what they do and like what they prefer in texas you know hunting on feeders is a big deal and, but I grew up hunting public land with my dad, deer hunting public land. And that's my dad's always been like very against it and very judgmental of people that hunt on feeders. I'm not that way. I, I don't, I have shot deer on feeders, but it's, it's just like, I was invited out and I wanted some meat or whatever. Um, but some people that's like deer hunting, that's what they grew up with is deer hunting on a feeder. And that's, they put their trail cam up, they're putting corn out all year. It's like a whole process and they're putting the work in and feeding their deer and they, they're watching these bucks and like that's fun to them and that's it's sustainable that's a big thing you know yeah. some things even there's certain things that i don't even are questionable ethically but if, if you're legal and sustainable I, I don't actually care how you're harvesting game ultimately because if you're buying your hunting license and you're doing things legally you're contributing to conservation and i'm all about like is is what you're doing having a net positive or a net negative Correct. And that that's how i make value judgments on on different things yeah. And I'm like, not great at getting my points across. Cause I ramble a lot, but I'm right there with you. Like when yeah, I said, yeah. like dumping corn in my field for me personally, this is me talking about only your preference, stand- yeah. my preference, my standard to myself is long-term when I'm 65 and I'm still hunting, I want to be able to go and say, we're going to go to Southern Ohio and we're going to hunt this public land. And I want to have 30 years of experience in my brain of watching natural deer do natural things so I can shoot a deer in their natural habitat, me versus them, mano y mano. That could change over time, but that's yeah. the mindset I have right now. Like To me, it's more important to learn about deer and ducks and yeah. woodcock and you know every, all these animals. It's more important for me because of the way I am as a person to understand these animals at an ecological level than it is to just be successful in shooting them. Yeah. that's, do I get frustrated when I don't get one? Hell yeah, I do. But like, (laughs) I didn't learn enough, man. I didn't pay enough attention. I didn't practice enough or whatever that is at the end of the day. I think that's super cool, man. Um, I'm, I'm very similar. What draws me to duck hunting is, you know, I'm I'm fascinated with waterfowl and and we've kind of touched on this a little bit, but you know, it's hard for me to, to express my love of these birds that I spend, I've spent the past two months shooting every weekend. And, you know, my Instagram is very diverse. I have a lot of wildlife, you know, enthusiasts on there and every now and then one will comment or message me and they're like, Oh, you're showing so much respect by posting that dead bird. And I'm like, if you only understood how passionate I am about the experience with these birds. And the least interesting part for me is the actual part of shooting and killing the bird. I hate, yeah. I don't you see like everybody has different emotional capacities and you know, some people, they see me post a picture of a dead bird and that's like, how could you do that? That's so like disrespectful and weird to post a dead animal. 
Now, I feel that same way when I see my fellow hunters posting their shot cams of these up close, like detailed videos of the birds folding in flight as they shoot it. That mm-hmm. I get that same reaction. I don't like seeing that. That's my least, that's the least interesting part of hunting is when those animals die. And it's just, it just doesn't look good. And it, it like a lot of times they're injured. And it like, I saw a video of a sandhill crane someone posted on a, like a, as a reel. And like they, they sent their dog out to get it. And this crane is still alive and it's very much alive. It's been w- wounded and the dog's like tearing into it. I'm like, bro, like as hunters, we're going to be better about what we post. And I, I think there's, you know, there's a, a conversation to be had about like what I call pile picks. Like I love to post my pictures of my, my birds that I shot. It's just something I've always done, but I'm, I'm willing to admit that it, you know, perhaps that's not necessary to post your harvested game, but for me, I, I'm posting it as a, as a way to, as a way to remember the experience. You know, it's like the traditional way of, you know, noting that experience and, it's, it's not like, oh, like, you know, look at all these dead birds. Like, look at all these dead birds. It's more about, you know, this is the harvest. This is, you know, I went out and harvested mushrooms or I harvested ducks. This is, this was it. And this is the end result. All the blood, sweat, tears out there in the marsh. And here we have our harvest game. But other people see it and it's, it's very hard for them emotionally to understand, like, wow, you just have so much disrespect for those animals. You just murdered. And so I, I struggle a lot with how as hunters, we should be, you know, uh, the messaging part on so- like social media is, is very difficult because I want, we need more people to support our way of life and not, not think of us as evil monsters. Yeah. And, well, you're not, dude, you're not the only person I've heard say that. I mean, one of the guys I've had on my podcast, I mean, if you were to look at this guy, you would not think he would think like that. And he, we had a 10 minute conversation in the middle of my podcast about how, if you shoot a deer and you're going to pose with it, take your water bottle and, and clean up blood off of them. And like, you know, at least clean it up and look nice. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like we're like hunters, as everybody said a million times, hunters are their own worst enemy over and over and over. And it's like, that's the difference between a conservationist as a hunter and a hunter who is also a conservationist by proxy. Like those are two different mindsets. And it's like, everybody's going to do what they're going to do, mate. Everybody's got that uncle that it comes to Thanksgiving and you're like, oh God, here we go. We're going to start talking politics and nobody wants to. It's like, everybody's got that person. Like some people you can't change, but I like, to me, when I think about it, I'm like, I'm going to do the best I can to not do that thing because and, I don't want. You maybe know, we're being too nitpicky and you know, these things don't ultimately matter, but they're worth talking about you know, and explore. I think they matter to an extent because if you have a person who's on the fence of saying, um, for instance, you met my friend Seth down there who was helping me film. Yes. He was a non-hunter. He was not opposed to hunting, but he was not like going to go by himself and hunt. He was just like, he's like, hunting's a thing, just like fishing's a thing, just skiing's a thing. He's like, and I don't, I don't have an opinion on it. Um, and I took him hunting for the first time a few weeks ago. And that to me is a culmination of him coming with me to this summit and meeting people like you who are like, I care about this. And I don't just want to smear blood on my face and scream into the abyss about how manly yeah. I am and talking to people like you and Derek and Chester and everybody at this podcast conference who cares about wildlife first. Yeah. He 
completely <clears throat> swung to the side of like these aren't bad people. So the, yeah, and now if we yeah. showed up there and we were spearing pigs and spearing blood all over ourselves and like like just being like rednecks drinking beer like shooting yeah. stuff he probably would have been like yeah this is not for me i don't agree with this at all and like that's our job man especially as people with social media like whatever bullshit we have on social media and youtube and all this crap that's our job dude yeah. is to not do that like no. as in my opinion one thing um over the past like five years is i've, I've experienced is um trying to recruit those types of people like seth yeah. But also trying to recruit, you know, w- you know what we refer to as rednecks, people that don't, don't really don't seem to give a fuck. And yeah, one re- one reason I thought it was a really cool opportunity to to work for the oldest duck call company in the world is because I can reach those rednecks. And I really consider myself like I grew up in that culture. You know, like <laughs> I became a biologist later, but like man, I was a fucking redneck back in the day, man. Now, I can still. I can still wear my redneck clothes all the time. And, and, you know, a lot of people I care about are, um, you know, rednecks. And, you know, I think for me, leaning into my culture that I grew up with has been very valuable for me as a conservation educator, because it allows me to really reach a lot of different types of people. And I feel like that's my place in the world is to, to, to like, there was a time when going through college, I thought I would just really leave my background where I grew up and never look back and just really pursue being a wildlife biologist and, and travel all over the world and do all these stuff and never have any connection to my quote redneck roots. And, but as I, you know, started to really understand these issues, I'm like, I might as well lean into it, you know, and except I grew up in a small rural Texas and grew up riding around drinking beer, shooting shit. Like that's just what we did. And most of the time it's, it's sustainable and, you know, m- mostly, most legal, of the time. <laughs> mostly legal. Um, mostly. I love that stuff when I was a kid, but you know, you know, a lot of people that grew up hunting as a kid, they you know, did some stuff that was questionable, but you grow up and you know, you, 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 you lead a, a you know, conservation minded life later on. But um, for me, as, as someone that's really interested in bridging the gaps with, mm-hmm with different cultures and, and bringing people together and uniting around conservation. It was, it's been cool for me to, to return back to my, my roots and to now work in the duck hunting industry, which is to me very valuable. Yeah. Yeah. The, and those calls, duck calling is just a thing, man. Like it takes so it's much its own culture. That's like separate from hunting itself. Dude, duck calling competition. is competition. It's a sport. I had to drop. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Like I had to drive to New York, which is like about a seven and a half, eight hour drive from where I live in Ohio um, to do some filming stuff. And I brought my duck calls with me and I did them the whole way there. And it is one of the most, it's almost as frustrating as like learning how to deer hunt. It's just the nuance of a duck call to just drive you up the wall, dude. You got to get your first shot. (laughs) I do. I do. I already, dude, I actually right behind me right here. You can see it on the wall. That's see your lanyard. duck. That's my lanyard with all my duck a, calls on you, them. They're all like, you have a Primo's whistle over there. I think I see it. I do. Blue. Yeah. That's the easiest that. one to use. Yeah. That's the only call I can do a pintail whistle on. I can't, I can't roll my tongue on a regular, on a regular whistle. No, that's not the roller. That's the, that's the OG. I can do the tongue. Oh, roller. that's, that's oh, like the you. only thing I can do. Oh, I got you. 
yeah. It, Other than that, I'm not. I'm duck not. hunting was a, is a recent thing for you, right? Fair. This yeah. year was my first time. And, you, and I, you've shot a few ducks. Yeah, I've got, I shot a merganser and I shot a. Um, can't remember the exact species, but it was a something. And then I got a coot, which most people wouldn't really want. Yeah, but th- this is something I found out being around hunters who are not weird shit, quote unquote weird shit. By the way, I say that in a quote air quotes. <laughs> um, we had the first time I'd ever been duck hunting was this last season, 2022. We were in northern Michigan, like way up in northern Michigan in the Manistee area, which anybody who's in Michigan knows that's like that's up there, northwest Michigan. We're on this beautiful river, ass crack of dawn. We're sitting out there in the dark. The sun comes up and it's like pure fall colors. Like if you think of like a postcard of fall colors, it was like this. I'll send you some pictures because it was yeah, so, yeah. Send so amazing. Oh, I love that shit. And I'm sitting there. The sun comes up. There's ducks and geese flying overhead. I don't know any of them. I'm just like, what's that? He's like, that's a swan. If you shoot that, uh, we're going to have to leave. <laughs> it's like, just like all these birds flying overhead. I'm free. Like the first time you do, especially me, the first time I do any kind of new hunting, I'm like amp, dude. I'm like a dog. Like oh, I'm shaking so and exciting. freaking out. So, exciting. so, and you don't know what you're doing. And then they're just kind of like looking at everyone around you. Like, what, uh, am I doing the right thing? Am I doing the right, you know, am I standing still enough for you? And so anyway, long story short, this nothing's happening. It's like, you're just dead it's like almost time where he's gonna call it quits around like 10 11 a.m and then all of a sudden the guy looks over he goes hey there's two over there and they're just floating down the river and like my first thing was like well are are can we shoot them are they like legal ducks he goes yeah and that's all that was the whole conversation i pulled the shotgun up boom boom <laughs> the dog swims out lab grabs retrieves them pulls them up and i'm so amped and i'm like dude this is my first duck ever and he's like yeah that's a merganser those are disgusting i was like why didn't you tell me that first or i wouldn't have shot it and and i was so heartbroken and then me and my friend pat who is an awesome guy awesome conservationist he's like dude we're going to cook these things because every time someone's told me that wild game is disgusting, it's always been bullshit. We're full of and shit. I was like, let's, full of let's do this. Yeah. Yes. And even the hunters there who are, are like duck hunters and woodcock and grouse hunters, that's their life. They're like, I'm not touching that shit, dude. And we grilled it up. We grilled it like you would a steak. We ate it. And I was like, dude, this is not disgusting at all. Everyone said it's going to taste like wet fish oil. And I was like, this tastes like a low grade steak. And I was like, I I will never listen to another person as long as I live about what wild game tastes like until I've had it myself. And that's why I shot the coot. I've been trying to figure out the best recipe because they also say those are gross and I don't believe them. Yeah. Yeah. Coots are, um, coots are actually, you know, like in Louisiana, they're, they're, they're renowned as a, a good tasting bird you know and they like that's they what i say they have like a they don't have a lot of breast meat but their legs are meaty but um yeah. yeah a lot of people don't eat divers and that's fine as long as you're not shooting them and tossing them a lot of people do that that's something i i i really gripe a lot about with duck hunters is if they accidentally shoot a scop or something they'll and they'll toss them in the marsh and that way they don't feel they don't feel a part of their limit 
pisses me off. That's not respecting the resource at all. Yep. Um, so, you know, these, these are these sorts of things, but you know, one thing about waterfowl, the waterfowl hunting community as a whole, though, out of all the different types of hunting, I think the waterfowl hunting community does perhaps I don't, the most for, or, or cares the most about habitat because like wetlands are already like, you know, these pretty limited habitats on the landscape and we've lost a lot of wetlands. So conserving wetlands is like really important if we're going to continue duck hunting. Whereas like deer, deer live anywhere in the uplands and they're all over the place. Mm-hmm. So there's a, a much bigger emphasis on habitat. And that's one thing I've enjoyed about working in the waterfowl industry. It's a lot of, a lot of hunters really do care about habitat in this community. It's just, uh, you know, there's, there's some practices like, you know, people don't like divers and waste them sometimes. And I think that's, you know, that really pisses me off, but, um, we just well, got to talk to these people and try to convince them there's better ways to do Well, I was, I'm completely new to bird hunting of any sort. And it's just like, you know, another thing that I, I talk about a lot too, is like mentorship in the outdoors, because a lot of people like the, like me as a new hunter, as just like, I'm floundering half the time. I'm like, <laughs> I don't know what, I don't know how to get into this. And there's all these myths again about every hunting the thing I heard about hunting and fly or uh, duck hunting and fly fishing for years is that they're so so cost prohibitive that you'll never be able to do it without spending thousands and thousands of dollars and i literally do not not believe that at all not Not at all it's there's so many myths and bullshit out there i was like i bought you can see them behind me i bought these pair of frog togs waders and a pair of wading boots and a fly rod and i'm good like i can go fly that's all i have yeah i mean I, i fly fish almost every day during the spring and the summer in my backyard and the creeks and i don't take trips to colorado or you know, these mountain streams, like what people are associating when they say fly fishing, expensive fly fishing, that's what they think about, you know, with fancy gear and guided trips and all this, you know, that's one thing. Yeah. You bring up a great point. Cause a lot of people, they feel intimidated trying to get into the outdoors because they think it's this so expensive endeavor. Mm-hmm. And I will say, you know, duck hunting can get a little expensive if you hunt every weekend. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like I could, I don't know how many shells I've shot this season, but I could have bought 10 boxes and it would last me the season. I think, you yeah. know, I don't like, and you know, once you get your shotgun and you make the initial investments, you know, you're good. You know, you don't have to have a, where I'm from, you don't have to have a boat. There's walk-in hunting you yeah. walk out to these Same. markets and it's, you know, hard work. There's like where I used to hunt in high school is two miles to the good ponds. So you're carrying three dozen decoys with waders on and you're racing, you know, all the other hunters and it's a whole experience, but there are ways to get out there. And, uh, so that's, that's yeah. a great point, man. It does not have to be expensive. I bought used duck decoys off of Facebook marketplace I've been, and I've painted them. Yeah. I've enjoyed that. Seeing that, how you've done that. They look great. It was a pain in the ass. Cause I don't know anything <laughs> about painting, but like it cost me like 40 bucks for like 20 decoys. And yeah. I was like, this is great. It cost me some spray paint and like having to meet this guy in a sketchy parking lot at like 9 PM at a grocery store. Like it's whatever, man. If I get a few seasons out of them, sweet. I can duck hunt. And like, I'm not trying to ruin your gig here. Like you can buy a $30 duck call and just go to town, dude. Like you don't have to have like the most primo high end. I mean, it's nicer obviously to have them, but you don't have to have any, we sell a $25 mallard call and like, that's our most popular call and it works just fine. You know, it just, for a lot of people, 
it adds to the experience having a fancier call. For me, it does. Like this call I have here, this is an acrylic single read call, and I can do all sorts of cool stuff on it that I can't do with a you know a double read duck call. It's, it's yeah. But you know, calling for me is like a totally separate entity altogether. Like yeah. you know, competitions and there's it's just you know I work in that industry, so it's a little different. But as far as killing birds, no, you don't got to spend hundred dollars on a call. Well, no. it's something I've noticed is the guy locally. So I went hunting with those guys up north. Of, initially, that's like a four and a half hour drive. The guy down here that I hunt with, his name's Chad. He invites me all the time. Every time he goes duck hunting, because nobody will go with him because up here it's cold. And then I was like, dude. I want to get a duck call because I want to be like a valuable member to this hunting party. Right. And I was like, but I don't want to fuck it up for you. Like, I don't want to come out here and just blow shitty calls. And he's like, dude, you're going to save me half the effort. If you can just do clucks while I'm blowing a duck call or like doing the whistle or something, right. he's like, don't ever be discouraged. By that. He's like, it might blow some ducks occasionally, but you're never going to learn if you don't do it. Right. And I was like, how many people never buy a duck call and just go with their buddies nervous and th their buddies sit next to him wishing like, I wish this asshole buy a duck call. So I'm not okay. doing all the work on inside. No. Yeah. It's <laughs> duck hunting can really add to the experience. Duck calling can add to the experience of hunt duck hunting. Um, I, I don't think it's the most important factor. You know, there's with any hunting, there's different stuff that's pushed, you know, with deer hunting, there's like all this scent control and all these products that are pushed and it influences how people think about strategizing. And like with the duck hunting industry, you know, there's a lot of emphasis on what call you're blowing and the camouflage you have on and like expensive decoys. And, you know, not all of these things matter that much to me. The most important factors to kill ducks is to one, be where ducks are, are we? <laughs> And, um, after that cover is super important ducks, especially down here. I'm on the lower end of the, of the flyway. Um, you're up on the top end. So that like by the time the ducks, They've been shot at, ducks, yeah. I mean, I think about this a lot. I always say that. And I think it's, it's true to some extent, but I wonder how many of those ducks have been shot at. you know, surely some of them haven't, I do wonder what, how much pressure uh, I go through. I, these are things that pop up in my head, but, um, I think you, about the same thing. Yeah, like they're just so OCD. I mean, I'm so ADHD about this shit. But uh, yeah, but so there's all these different factors. So like cover, being where ducks want to be, those are two very important factors to me. Mm -hmm. um, and then after that, you know, ha having a pretty realistic spread to me is pretty important. You know, um, to get ducks in shooting range, ideally, it's a really important because duck, ducks are very social. They want to, mm -hmm. you know, their safety in numbers. They want to go hang out with other ducks even if they're different species, you know, they, they pull to other ducks and then to, to finish it off, there's calling, you know, calling can just improve your success, you know, by whatever percentage, you know, like it can get the attention of ducks that might've flew, flew by, never saw you or, you know, create the realism that you need. But I, I do put calling at the, at the lower end of the totem pole of what is really important to kill ducks. And that's probably not as a, as a duck call salesman, I should probably yeah, so you're gonna get fired, dude. Important part. Cut this part out. <laughs> as a just no duck honest the most important part. As an honest person, though, you know, I feel like and someone that I, you know, being a bird nerd, someone that I, you know, I, I'm involved with some ornithological research. You know, with I have a buddy that's studying rails. I care a lot about birds and bird behavior, and it's really interesting to me. And you know, I I go out and I photograph ducks, and 
you know, photographing ducks is something I enjoy way more than hunting ducks. When I get a good photo of a duck, it's, it's like the coolest feeling or video or like that. That's really the pinnacle for me is getting out there and photographing wild ducks. Um, and I've had some cool experiences lately with that, that, that will trump any of my best hunting experiences. But, um, and, you know, watching ducks and all this, it, it helps me understand and, you know, come up with ideas on what really is important when it comes to hunting them. But, um, yeah. And your photography has been like phenomenal for the last little bit while you've been taking those duck photos, man. Yeah, I, was, I, mean, I saw some the other day. I, guess, I was like, damn. I got some new gear and it's, I got a mirrorless camera now and it's, 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 oh, baby. it's cool. I'm, I've been shooting some, some video too. Uh, one thing yeah, I, I've seen I will say is shooting in 4k is, is challenging. Cause then, you know, I gotta like edit this, this like large, these large files and like trans, like s- transporting these files. And like, it's like a whole nightmare <laughs> doing anything in 4k. <laughs> I've had to learn, dude. I'm well aware of that problem. <laughs> much, much more in tune with these issues. I'm learning. I lo- but, uh, I love it. No, I, I love wildlife photography too, man. I got a 600 millimeter lens and in, in the yeah, whole full, full frame. And I just like, and I, I talk about this too, man. Like I, I'm just as happy shooting with a camera. I Same just too. love Same being too. out there. Yeah. You gotta be just as good. Yeah. Like on a, on a level of like being quiet and being hidden and, you just have a camera and they get to walk away. That's just as fine, man. I'm not opposed to that at all. Very sad. only thing is you don't get to take meat home. That's the difference, the main difference. And yep. you know, but you uh, get a picture that lasts forever. That's a badass cool. picture. You get a badass picture. And when I nail those pictures, it is such a good feeling. Oh, you know, it's so it hard. Now I posted about this, like getting photos of ducks in urban areas where they're kind of used to people isn't as satisfying to me. I'll do it just because it is the photo opportunities are wonderful and like it's great to be able to see those ducks up close but it's not the same as going and photographing wild ducks you know not Uh, even close and i I had the same feeling about i was really excited last year one of my big goals too is to take a picture of an owl yeah i just like i just don't didn't know where to find them and i had a couple buddies that were oh well they're at this park and this time and i was like so excited i was like camoed up i was ready to go then I get out there. There's like 50 people out there taking pictures. Like this kind of sucks. Like I don't really like. I feel like we're harassing the owl. Like I'd rather be like in the back country, on my on the owl's terms instead of just being like, like essentially harassing the shit out of this owl. And I'm just yeah, like, yeah. I, I don't know. I didn't quite feel. Or I probably won't be doing that again. I like didn't feel right about it. It's just not as yeah. It's like you see those uh, but, safari those safaris where people are out there photographing lions, and then you zoom out and there's like 30 other trucks surrounding it and there's people hara- like basically harassing the wildlife and like that that would really ruin it for me in my first if i ever go to africa you know yeah by the way do you have like aspirations to to travel around and chase wildlife around the world sorry well, do you have aspiration uh, any, any aspirations of traveling around internationally and, and for wildlife stuff i never thought about it no. uh internationally anyway i mean i'd like i'd really like to go to northern canada and fish for like trophy sized pike dude okay yeah that sounds amazing to me and i used to have these ambitions of traveling around the world but like seriously though like not even just to like sound cool or whatever like there's so much to do here in the united states oh there is i don't think i'll ever have 
I don't, I, I don't, I don't think in my mind, I don't think I'll ever be that guy that's like, oh yeah, I got a moose, I got a bear, I got a antelope, I got an elk, I got you know every game animal in the U.S. Like, dude, I just, I, I would love to just go to the U.S. Even coming down into Texas where you're at a few times is just a whole different world, and I just yeah. like happier than a clam, dude. I'd yeah. love to go. I'd be just as happy fishing off the coast of Florida for right. anything that I can keep and eat or the uh, Houston or whatever, as I would be trying to catch like a Guadalupe bass or to go shoot an antelope on the great plains. Any of that totally cool, man. I just don't care. I just love it so much. And there's so much to explore here. I don't think you could do it in multiple lifetimes. Yeah. So like, if I could, if like, if someone was like, Hey, you want to go hunt? Like, I think like red stag or like, overpopulated new zealand or something right, yeah. and there's like no limit in hunting license i'd be like let's go mm-hmm. if it was affordable to me and i could make it happen i'm in but like unless that opportunity actually presents itself to me and i don't have to like be the one planning it probably not to be completely honest with you i'd love to go around the world and take photos for sure yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. that's I, when i think about traveling the world it's it's more about getting photos of interesting wildlife and like australia is big on my list um yeah i might, yeah. I might go in march in fact Cause I'm like obsessed. I'm like obsessed with Australian fauna right now. I just, while I have this, this passion and drive, I need to just fucking go. Yeah. So hopefully you're young, but, uh, you're um, young, you can afford it. Just do right. it. But the thing is, you know, you can spend, I have so much to see here in the United States and there's so many fantastic and diverse ecosystems. And you know, we're easily jaded on our own country, even though like, this is just another part of the world, you know, this is a big world. Yeah. Like it, there's parts of this part of the world where we live that are very alien to us. Like for me, going to the West Coast would be a very alien experience. Wildlife yeah. that is far different than what I'm used to. A lot of similar stuff, but you know, like a seal. Like what the hell? Seals and like, but I will say though, like one my big attraction in Australia is it is a truly bizarre place for wildlife. Yes, it really is. Weird ass evolutionary, like histories and and it's been so isolated for so long there's stuff that's there that's nowhere else so that, that's that is truly like going to another planet and that's why i'm so attracted to it but i, I got a I i got a proposition then let's find somebody to give us a shitload of money to go make a wildlife documentary in australia and then we'll just have somebody else pay for it and we can justify it <laughs> you got a camera i mean what else do you oh, yeah i got some yeah. recorders we can podcast while we're there make it okay. make it worth a while yeah. well <laughs> On that point, we need to we need to do more collaboration. Um, you know, it's so cool to have a friend like you that it's kind of comes from the same, you know, ideology. Just being a well-rounded Likewise, conservationist, an outdoorsman. You know, it's uh, we, a lot of people that are are only ph- photographers or wildlife people or or are only hunters. They're limiting their opportunities in the outdoors. It is yeah. so fun to do it all in it, but the only dilemma is often sometimes. I don't, there's so much stuff to do. I often have a hard time choosing. <laughs> like, yeah. am I going to go look for snakes? Am I going to go chase spring uh, migration birds? Am I going to go chase spring flounder run? I'm like, yeah. flip a coin just to try to decide because there's so much shit to do, but it keeps so, you very busy. You know? If anybody knows me, they know one of my, the things I always say, and the, it pisses everyone off is they're always like, 
when someone says I'm bored, I literally will like rant to them for an hour. I'm like, how could you possibly be bored? You can literally go outside and do anything you want right now. You could go shoot a deer. You can go catch bass. You can go take photos. You can go hike at the park. You can go on a bike ride. You can go run. You can just go stare at the damn river. How are you telling me you're bored right now? There's unlimited opportunities. You're absolutely insane. Yeah. Read a book. Come on. <laughs> Let's get into the end zone here. I don't know how, how much longer my pod track report will last. Um, the thing is, you and I can talk for so long, but um, like what's uh, hours coming up for, for the, the future for you? So what was that? I see cut out again. Uh, what's coming up for the future for you? You know, stuff that you know you're, you're looking forward to and yeah. Well, as of right now, what I'm looking forward to most is finishing this documentary been a been a very long journey for me because it's my very first like actual go at it like i tried to make it look cinematic and professional and like professional audio quality it's all done by me and my friend seth and and you guys who are who helped us film it and stuff that's my big goal right now is finishing that working on making some bigger projects and then just expanding my talking on conservation with my podcast and just like I don't know, man. I just love doing this stuff. And that's, yeah. that's my goal. I don't, I'm not like, Oh, five-year plan is to, I'm just like, no, just I just want this to take it day by day and kick yeah. ass. Yeah. And you have absolutely hundreds of episodes at this point, right? You've been doing it for a hot minute. I have, I, I just am releasing this week when we're recording this episode 101. Okay. But I'm really trying to ramp it, man. I'm trying to put out multiple episodes a month, not just yeah every four week like solo episodes talking about stuff like you and i talk about off the cuff right. just trying to get more more out there to more people which is yeah. a huge pain in the ass but that's yeah. what i do man i don't that's my only hobby i don't i don't run around and like play video games and 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 watch tv like this is what i do this is my this is my fun well how do people find your stuff aptitude outdoors look it up where i'm on every stupid platform that exists and i post every day like a moron <laughs> all right man well thank you so much paul i uh you know we hit, we covered some really important stuff you know when i talk to people like you i, I can really get certain things off my chest because you get it <laughs> yeah well no thank you man i appreciate it i'm, I'm excited to see your like back up and running podcasting oh, yeah. there's a minute there i was like where did you go andrew <laughs> you have so much to say like come on dude and i'm, I'm so year. hyped yeah, last year was a it was a it was a weird year, man. It was a weird year. I was running around yeah. a lot, and, but uh, all right, man, we'll, we'll end it there. I'll stop the recording, and you know, we can have a little post chat here. Uh, so yeah, really appreciate it, man.